Welcome back to episode 25. We're moving into my third career. My sister is set up in the Hampton House, and I'm on my way to San Antonio again, this time for Officer Training School, or OTS. It's 90 days, and while I have some ideas of what to expect, one never really does. Before I go into the story, there was a news article last week just as I posted last week's episode about a newborn found in a dumpster at 4 a.m. in Tennessee. The baby was fortunately found alive, in critical condition. When I started my story, I mentioned that it was hard to believe that in 2023, in the United States, children are discarded at birth in a similar manner as I was in that land far away. Tennessee, like other states, does have a safe haven law, that allows for newborns to be left with no questions asked in designated places, rather than discarding the infant. The five dollars add up when we all help support these safe haven boxes. I'm hopeful that this little one will not only survive, she or he will be amazing in her or his own way. Now back to the journey. There is anticipation, to be sure in the air as I arrive at Officer Training School, or OTS. As you might expect, OTS is very different, and yet in some ways not different than basic military training, especially for those without military experience. One thing for sure, I was happy I was going to San Antonio in the fall to avoid the heat of summer. Marching around in the heat in the summertime in San Antonio, it's not fun. Everyone is assigned to a flight of a dozen or so officer trainees, or OTs. Flights make up a squadron, and then a group, and a wing, so that the class represents an organization like an Air Force base. This not only helps trainees learn how the Air Force is organized, it also creates leadership opportunities mirroring officer positions as well. To start at the top, there will be a trainee, wing commander, wing staff, down to flight positions. Before the student organization is formed, all cadets wear OT rank on shoulder boards, similar to what you may have seen on Air Force cadets in the academy or naval officers on TV. More on that in a bit. The demographic composition of the trainees is broad, as you might expect, to include race, age, education level, and whether they are prior service or pure civilians. While the Air Force does not give priority, per se, to those with enlisted service, they do look favorably on these folk because they are already demonstrated both potential and performance in the Air Force organization. Trainees are spread across the various flights in random distribution while attempting to balance demographic characteristics. Our class had about 240 trainees divided among four squadrons and 12 flights. Class sizes come and go because the OTS is a organization that kind of fills in the gaps for officer strength between what they don't have from the Air Force Academy and Air Force ROTC. So our class was relatively small compared to others. I'd say that being a prior enlisted trainee, there are some distinct benefits. Clothes are folded in the same manner as basic training, and things like bed-making, locker configuration, dorm cleanliness, and so forth are very similar to that as well. Obviously, already knowing how a base is organized, rank, as well as drill and ceremonies, 
like how to march, etc., all enable a head start. I'd say that this head start is for the first two weeks or so at most, yet we are able to help others learn more quickly because each flight does have a couple of prior service trainees. The other two key differences are that they are very, that are very different from basic training are that instead of open bay dormitories, there are two trainees to a room. And instead of enlisted flight leaders, the immediate supervisory personnel or flight commanders are officers, generally captain. The military training aspect to include the dorms, marching, and customs and courtesies was taught by enlisted military training instructors from basic military training. In addition to practical experience, there are leadership courses, history, the Uniform Court of Military Justice, and others. In addition, there are what some may call sports that are unique only to this organization because the rules are very, very different from what you'd expect in any game played anywhere else. Physical fitness was also measured with what used to be the Air Force standard that included the mile-and-a-half run, sit-ups, push-ups, pull-ups, and the long jump. I still don't know why the long jump was in there, and as a person with very short legs, I would go out and practice and practice and practice. Anyway, there was also something called Project X, the obstacle course, and firearms training on the 38 versus the M16 like BMTS. All of this goes into a process that creates competition between the flights and adds camaraderie as well as a competitive nature at OTS. So that's generally the lay of the land. If I left something out that is additionally relevant, I'll try to remember to incorporate it. My roommate was a very cool guy. David was a recent college graduate with a degree in aerospace engineering. His goal was to get a pilot slot, and he did. When I record the podcast, as you might expect, I listen to each section to see if a correction needs to be made or adjusted before putting the podcast together. So I was listening to the first section, and I'll say that you might hear a bell sound, and if you think you hear one, you probably do. Princess Kona was playing with a mouse in her favorite box that's on the other side of the room, and I could hear that little jingle every once in a while. She also hears me talking, and so she assumes I'm talking to her, so she's usually pretty close to where I am. So that's what you're hearing. Enjoy her contributions to the podcast. To break up the story, I'm going to go backwards for a short spell. As I've been doing with the podcast, I gather a lot of photos, documents, and other artifacts to both refresh my memory as well as chart the journey in what I'm hoping is some measure of a logical way. Sometimes I come across things that I couldn't find, and this week is such an example. I found all of my transcripts for everything except my undergraduate time at Christopher Newport College when I did that episode. Sunday, I found it. So, let me give you a picture of how I went through my time that I shared in episode 20. And that was more than a month ago. As I mentioned, I started with three courses before accelerating my program. Completing a total of 63 hours that first full year at the college. I did transfer in 10 hours. Three were from the University of Nevada at Las Vegas. One course that I took while I was still in high school from North Country Community College and four hours uh, for PE for basic military training. I thought that was just two. 
The remaining 124 hours were took in those two years that I was at CNC. I also mentioned that the last challenge course was a statistics, a statistics, I can't even say the word, a statistics course. It was a sophomore level psychology course that I got a C in in the freshman level psych course. And so that probably should have been assigned not to challenge it. Anyway, it was certainly a surprise seeing that transcript. I did get 10 C's at CNC, including two that first term. I said it before and I'll say it again. I couldn't have done that now. It was pretty crazy. You remember that I mentioned that the Community College of the Air Force blends your professional occupational training with additional courses to round out an associate's degree. As an example, of the 65 hours required, 20 were from the Air Force courses and the remaining from either CLEP or college courses since the college is a fully accredited institution. At Golden Gate University for my master's program, I started in the spring of 1983 with 15 hours, six in the summer, and just three in the last term. And yes, I did get my token C in my grad program. In that program, as I looked at the courses taken each semester, I'd say, I'd say that only a crazy person would combine the topics I did. The smart person takes a blend of more difficult and less difficult courses, especially if someone is working full-time. So, there you have it. A crazy person's three-year academic history through this point. Back to Lackland Air Force Base. Like basic training, those who have discrepancies, usually because of uniform violations or during dorm inspections, you would get demerits. These are recorded and they become part of the basis for both the individual competitions for distinguished graduate and to determine if you get weekend privileges. Those who had an excess of demerits would be restricted to base with the less than flattering term bedposted. In our flight, we had one guy who was a scientist that the Air Force really needed. His career would be in a lab, in a scientific environment, and you might imagine that the adaptation to the military wasn't really an easy path for him. Unfortunately, he was bedposted more times than not. We would all pitch in to help him as much as we could, not only because he was a flight member, also because each of us had our own areas of the program that were difficult. And to be fair, we knew we were all in this together. That's what makes up a successful flight. I only got a handful of demerits, so I'm pretty proud of that. This brings up another term that was common among trainees. That is, cooperate and graduate. Related to this was what, while some would compete hard to get distinguished graduate, given only to a small fraction of the class, most shot for another form of DG. Done, graduated. After all, at the end of the day, everyone who succeeds will be commissioned at the same rank and go on their merry way. Very little follows you from OTS, just as very little follows a trainee from basic training. The environments are for training purposes and not indicative of the real world, env world environment for the Air Force. For some, it was tedious and frustrating. We had a really, really good flight, and I'll say a super flight commander. His name was Captain Brickard. He was relatively new, and that was both a blessing and a curse. On the one hand, he didn't have a breadth of experience of some of the antics that trainees try to pull. 
also being new to the training environment, which is very different from the Air Force, as I just mentioned. So my sense is he was adjusting to the environment just as we were. On the one negative side, he was new, and so he knew all the rules, and they were all fresh in his mind. We had a flight room where we did planning, studying, and had classes taught by the flight commander that included an interactive or practicum aspect to them. The other courses were taught in the auditorium that was called the Big Blue Bedroom. In fairness, they even painted clouds on the ceiling. Don't get caught sleeping, or at least learn to sleep without being obvious. There were a lot of courses because in just 90 days, the Air Force attempts to create a military education that is interwoven at the Air Force Academy and ROTC in from two to four years. I mentioned earlier about some of the classes that we took, and a lot of them had practical experience for after you leave OTS. Among the classes that were taught in the big blue bedroom were history and learning about the culture and traditions of the Air Force and our sister services. After all, by this time, the Air Force was only 40 years old. Military law was important because of both the UCMJ, or Military Discipline Program, and accountability expectations and the careful use of that authority. In addition, there are guests with senior leader expectations. Both senior enlisted and senior officers would speak to the class to provide a real-world lens. So, in sum, there's a fair amount of reading, and you know how I feel about that. Each flight also had a sister flight. Consider the flights kind of like a division in football, since it is football season right now. They are the most competitive flight that you have, although there was also some collaborative interaction as well. At the start, one of the first things you do as a flight is to make flight and personal goals. You know the drill. They have to be realistic, challenging, yet attainable, and measurable. We've heard it time and time again. Hmm. Can the goal be graduate and pass? No. How about be in the bottom half of the class? Again, no. To start off, though, you don't want to say you want to be the best ever. So our flight decided we wanted to have everyone pass and for the flight to be in the top half of the wing. That seemed to pass the test with the flight commander as the starting point. And we had some other goals as well. Then we had to have individual goals. We brainstormed some of those and then we divided them among the flight members with little tweaks as well as coming up with the last couple on our own. As it turned out, we should have taken bets in Las Vegas. By the time they started to post results from the academic and sports programs, we were doing pretty well. We had some very talented athletes, me, not among those, and did well academically. So, we had to keep adjusting our goal. We went from saying we want to be in the top half to the top third, and then maybe the top 20%, and we kept doing well, and the top 10%, and finally we wanted to be awesome. <laughs> Anyway, at the same time, by chance, our sister flight was doing horribly. We would have games, and we would finish, and we would win, and we'd see the, our sister flight going back from their game, and they would lose, and again, and again, and again. So, it's one of those things. When a flight's doing well, things are going great, 
And when things aren't going well, they seem to spiral in the other direction. And that's what happened to our sister flight. The halfway point is awesome. The next class comes in because up to this point, we're doing dorm chores like cleaning, vacuuming halls, picking up litter, etc. The new class takes that over and you're considered upper class. You change your shoulder board from what were two thin diagonal stripes to vertical stripes on your shoulder boards that mirror naval rank. This is when the wing leadership is formed and the class essentially becomes trainee run as tests of leadership and followership. From OT colonels down to OT second lieutenants, we would use the class chain of command, customs and courtesies, and essentially treat the class like a simulated Air Force wing. Well, with a lot of guardrails. My OT rank was first lieutenant. I don't recall the job I had. I think I was the flight admin officer. My goal was to have a job that was less time-consuming, although there were benefits to having more visible positions. This is especially true for those who are seeking selection as a distinguished graduate, and also those who are seeking rated slots as a pilot or navigator. While I was at OTS, thoughts of my mom would often come into my mind. They weren't along lines of advice so much as they were in some ways like the wind beneath my wings, kind of silently encouraging me when things were difficult. To be fair, despite my prior service, the expectations were obviously very different, and that two years out of the service was just enough that while I had a strong background, there were many areas I was unaware and rather had to learn anew. It was a change from my perspective from the past, and sometimes that can be more difficult. One of the leadership exercises and obstacle courses were those areas that really stressed me out. Some involved going up tall obstacles and being uncomfortable with heights, making these a real challenge. Others had serious balance areas, and I have a terrible sense of balance as well. So I'm up there sometimes hanging on for dear life. And since it's a collaborative leadership exercise, People try to help you as much as they can. I made it through these with a lot of help. I recall that my roommate would go out with me and help me practice, especially that long jump, which again, who knows why. I mentioned that unlike basic training where the weapon was the M16, officers generally carry a sidearm in times of conflict, so you have to qualify. At the time, it was a 38. Having never held a pistol, it's a little scary. From my perspective, the M16 was a lot more stable. Remember that I was held up at gunpoint, and that was my only experience with a pistol on the wrong side of the weapon. When I went through M16 training those many years ago, I would pass. Barely. There were times I would have to go back more than once. After all, it is the military, and we need people who can fire a weapon. Right? Well, here we go. Off to small arms training. There are a lot of practice rounds, and I'm hitting the target with a lot of areas for adjustment by the instructors. When it came time to do the qualification run, I'm cautiously optimistic. Pass is my goal. Having to go back while at OTS was not a moniker that I wanted. What? I qualified? Expert? How can that be? I was between two other shooters. 
Interestingly, one didn't qualify and the other barely qualified, yet I fired expert. I'm sorry, but there's no doubt in my mind that my target was our target. And since it's a qualification round, the instructors count the shots on your target. And if there's a high enough score, you are an expert. Over the course of my career, I had to fire another couple of times and never qualified expert again. My firing buddies weren't there. As a side note, when an officer becomes a general officer, they are issued a sidearm that is kept in their office. It's an old tradition, to be sure. Fast forward, I remember when I was on the air staff at the Pentagon, our leader was promoted to Brigadier General and was issued a weapon and an office safe. Even still, he was like, why do I have this? I don't know if they still have this tradition. Next week, we'll have a special guest to give his perspective on OTS. He went to OTS in the same class that I was in. Being younger, he may have a better memory than I. I hope you have a wonderful week. This week's episode photos also include some artifacts from past episodes that I came across this week. Next week, I'll go into the anticipation of being commissioned and off to my first base. You know what they say. Lieutenants will do the darndest things. You learn that my officer career was both similar and different from my seven years enlisted. Until next week, 